millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on this episode, Fan of History. Hello, Dan. Hello, Bernie. Good to hear from you today. Good to hear from you. This is a historic moment in... uh Many aspects, but this will this and the next episode will be the last ones I record in my studio in Solna, ah, which is a kind of a weird little city within Stockholm. It's its own uh, government and its own city, but it's surrounded by Stockholm. Oh, and it's uh, incredibly uh, wealthy because Stockholm pays for all the region stuff. Oh. So, and I've been living here for eight months now, but I will be moving shortly. All right. And I actually recorded here for uh, four years. Oh, okay. This was, that's what you used to, you didn't live here, but you record in this, where you are now. But yes. you're going to be moving to a new place, yes. a new studio, state of the art. Exactly. So I sold my apartment, moved to the studio, and uh, now I'm uh, moving into my new apartment. Amazing. Uh, which has been an adventure in this time of inflation and uh, oh yeah, yeah, interest rates and stuff. Oh yeah, everything's going crazy now. So that's why we need you to be on Patreon, dear listeners. Yes, please, listeners, on Patreon.com. Yes. of history. Okay, let's talk about uh, China, the cradle of civilization. It is a cradle. It's almost this. The Chinese civilization is very. As the more I learn, the more confused I get. <laughs> I'm getting a little less confused, but I know that there's so much more. It's like the um, Dunning-Kruger effect, you know? Like, the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. Exactly. But get into it. And there is a lot. They're very, they are very civilized here in the central plains of China. Because that's where we are. Ancient China is basically just the central plains between the Yangtze and the Yellow Rivers. One of the most uh, fertile places in the world. Yes, that's why it's the cradle of civilization, in a sense. Exactly. Screw the Middle East and Egypt. <laughs> this is the place to be. <laughs> it is, and, and they're very, um, 
Yeah, they're very civilized in a lot of ways. They're very, they're so different too. That's where it's hard, I think, as a Westerner, trying to understand the Chinese. It's it, you have to kind of take it from a different point of view. And then even the writing is so, you know, the translating and the writing is so different. And language, I should say, and the writing, of course. So a lot of the stuff I get is like my good friend Jack, who's one, a business associate of mine in China, is native Chinese, obviously. And he sends me links to articles and information on a lot of this stuff, but it's in pure Chinese, right? So then I translate it for Google Translate. I bet it's, you know, <laughs> it's rough. It doesn't come out quite across. And then, the, and then I was even talking to him about it. And the Chinese names are like, they're similar. And then they're, but they're, they're they'll like be a, the same person, but they'll write the name a little different. And then sometimes I've mentioned this before, the names change. Like when they die, they change their name, and then make it worse. They're like so similar. And then some of the names are the same. It'd be like if you had King Jim from like, and he, there was like four King Jims, but you never had like King Jim the first, second, third, and fourth. And they just keep saying like Jim, Jim. And then once in a while they call him Joe. And they're like, oh my god, I'm just having so hard. <laughs> But it's, I really kind of got through this one. At least we're doing it one decade at a time. <laughs> which is good. It is. And I'm going to, like, toot our own horns a little here again because, like, all this research I'm doing on this, sometimes I find information on these big events on other places, and they're easy. But this isn't easy, and it doesn't seem like anyone has, like, here's what the spring and autumn period is in a nice book that you could just read it. I Even on Amazon, everything's in Chinese. If you, if you grew up in China and speak Chinese, you'll know this, but in English, it's really tough. So think, anyway, but we're doing it. I think it's very poetic that we are now approaching the time of the guy who actually inspired the word Confused. <laughs> Confucius himself is close he now. He did? <laughs> Amazing. Uh, being great. confused is like being under the influence of Confucius. Oh, Amazing. And that, that segues us right into how I started to wanted to talk about this episode is because we are like in this time frame of Confucius. He wasn't born yet. He wasn't born until like 550. We're in the 570s. I don't think we said that, did we? We're in the 570s BC here. Yeah, we are. And yeah. uh, we're, this century in itself globally is such a huge time for ideas and philosophy and things that influence us still today, which is uh, makes this one of the most important centuries in our history. A hundred percent. I was we're on the same page. The philosophers that come around now, we're going to have, like we said, Confucius is coming. We have the Buddha coming. We have another philosopher today that we'll talk about, Lao Tzu, and um, those are you know the Eastern philosophies. And then in Greece, we have the pre-Socratics, and then we're going to have. Socratics pretty soon. So, yeah. And the Persians are getting their stuff from somewhere at this time as well. Yeah, we have a lot of stuff going on for sure. And there's just more people, I think, too. You know, as there's more people, as there's more population, people are get, you know, communicate more and have more chances of people thinking different things and, you know, like more ideas, the more people, the more ideas, the more growth there is. For sure. Yeah. So, yeah, so we're at the, this is the, this is the era that like, is the founding era for for Confucius, you know? So this is like the era he grew up in and he would be born into and then write about. And then Confucianism is still a, a very important in China today. So this is this is sort of like the the cradle of the cradle of civilization, right? It's like the, the source of all his complaints. 
Who yeah. wants to change is yeah. present in this era. Yes, right. He doesn't like all this warring and stuff, but he does like the ritual. And that's where he, he the ritual and this the, the rituals of of the Zhou king kingdom, you know, they have no power, as we said before, and they have all these dukes, but they have to follow the ritual system certain amount. It's very ritualistic and it goes with music. So it's different things, different ways you have to present and bow and make sacrifices and all kinds of etiquette. All right. And so saying that, just one last caveat, and a lot of the stuff was written after the spring and autumn period, and they sort of glorify it, even like even Confucius is, glorifies the beginnings of the Zhou dynasty and the virtue and the ritual. And so a lot of this stuff was written afterwards, and so they'll say things like, he didn't want to kill the duke because of, you know, he was a gentleman and stuff like that. So you wonder how much of that is them longing for the past and thinking these things. But I mean, if you're going to war, you're... I don't know, you should go to war. That that will be exactly our problem in the next episode as well, because the situation is the same in Rome. Mm-hmm. Nobody's yeah. writing down stuff. Everybody's right. writing down stuff when they are nostalgic much later. Right, 100%. So another thing that's hard is I try to use the chat GPT, and it's a, a total bullshitter. It gave <laughs> me so many wrong answers. I'm like, tell me about this battle. And it was so wrong. So... I mean, we're doing the work for you here. So I use the internet, and I put in. I looked for Kung, King Bao of Chu, and I found out that it's a snug, no frills restaurant specializing in Asian buns stuffed with proteins and unusual condiments. So this is what I deal with. Can you please explain to a non-native English speaker what an unusual condiment is? An unusual condiment would be like an unusual ketchup or mustard. Condiment is like relish or ketchup, mustard, mayonnaise. So something unusual would probably be like spicy ketchup or honey okay. mustard. Where is this restaurant so I can send in, an invoice for us speaking about them? It's in L.A. Oh, okay. Yeah, send them an invoice. So I'll, I'll send you the address, the email address. Great. <laughs> Sounds great, though. King Bao of Chu. I love a no-frills restaurant. Yeah, in L.A. It's probably... The rent's probably $10,000 a week there for them in their little restaurant. Okay, I'll mark the invoice rent so they'll just pay it. <laughs> Perfect. I get half of that. Yes. So, yeah, so here's the story how I have it. I actually did, in the end, I used the chat GPT to help me reorganize it a little bit. I won't, I'm not going to read it just like they have how it came out, but maybe a few times I'll mention how it said it. It is very interesting. I, I urge you guys all check. You know, like, let's check it out, chat GPT. It's kind of fun to play with. And just for uh, for our worried listeners, the singularity is still far away. AI will not take over the world anytime soon. Probably not. It w- uh, we hope not. Maybe destroying it would be easy enough. All you have to do is tell some idiot to push some buttons. But uh, anyway, let's, let's talk about how it went in history back, way back in the 570s. And so... So this is kind of cool. In 579, so we just start right in the beginning of the, de- of the decade here in China, the leaders of Jin and Chu, they actually made peace. They had a, not just peace, they actually formed an alliance. It was mediated by the Song Dynasty. Apparently they signed an alliance outside the west gate of the Song Dynasty's capital, and they stated that they would no longer fight each other, and they would help each other in times of crisis and famine. And they would attack. And if another, you know, if they were attacked by one of the other states, they would defend each other. 
which is amazing because these two guys, I mean, Chu's been fighting everybody, whoever is the hegemon for, you know, decades and decades. And Jin at this time is the hegemon. If you recall, I'll do a little quick um, backup as they... 636, we had the Battle of Chen Pu. That's when Jin defeated uh, Chu, and they became the hegemon. And then we had the Battle of B in 597, and Chu beat Jin in that one. Now we're in the 570s, and they haven't fought since that last time. So in the spring of, there's a little, all this stuff is working up. Jin and Chu. They're working up to, like, you know. So they made a piece. We'll see how that goes. So uh, I guess the Song are also in this alliance as they uh, were no. mediated? Uh, they were just a mediator, but this particular one. Okay, but they must be quite interested in the alliance. Yeah. You know what else happened? And back in 589, right, there was a, a the Chu made an alliance with a bunch of states. I, if I even try to re read them, I don't even remember which they all are, but they made an alliance with a bunch of states, sort of officially became part of the Zhou system. You know, they were going to go by the rights, and they have all these allies. And the, like I mentioned before, too, the Chu have a lot of barbarians in their area, and they're in the south. And then all these other states are more up north. Chu are near the Yangtze River, and the these Jin and Chin and you know, all those are up near the yellow. So now we have uh, quite a large number of states allied, and an alliance needs an enemy. Who are the enemy? Well, that's the thing. They're just like anybody could be your enemy. They just sort of all allied, and they don't have one enemy. So this is why this alliance won't last for very long. Oh. The, basically, the enemy, actually, the, officially, the enemy is the barbarians. So the the deal with the Zhou rites and rituals are... and is um, honor the king, protect the realm from the barbarians. All right. So they're all supposed to be not against each other. Also at this time, the, the Western Zhou, right, they fell in 770. And then, so now we're in the Eastern Zhou because they moved the capital to the east. Around the first, now this is when the Zhou really started to lose their power. But in the 600s, they still sort of had some more authority. By now... They're just really just a figurehead. So the states can pretty much do whatever they want. They still have to go through these ritual things and everything, but they, you know, they really have no power. Okay. So in, in 578, the Duke of Jin and some generals, they led a bunch of armies actually into the Zhou capital because the Zhou is in the center, right? And they joined forces with Qi, Song, Wei, Lu, Zheng, Kao, Zhu, and Tang, all these states, to attack Qin, Q-I-N. But Chu is not in here. No, no. Okay, they are staying out of this. Yeah, they're staying out of this one. Because, well, actually, back in 627-ish, Qin and Chu had made a treaty that, they're not, that if anyone attacks Qin, that the Chu have to, supposed to come to their... 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So that's kind of makes things messed up because I'll tell you in advance that Chu are not going to come to their aid. The reason that they, they were going to attack Chin is that um, one of the ministers of the Jin dynasty, he went into Chin and he told them the crimes that they committed. And the crimes that they committed were they basically did some double dealing with the D barbarians. They live right near them. So the, uh, Chin is all the way off to, in the northwest. They live next to these guys, so they fight them a lot. So they asked Jin to help attack them. And Jin didn't even answer, but then the... Chin told the barbarians that Jin was going to attack them. So they weren't cool. The D went back and told the Jin what happened, and the Jin weren't cool with it. They told all, they said they like intermarry with the D and all this stuff. And then the Chu wasn't happy about it, and it went against the etiquette of the, you know, the rights. So everybody got mad, and they were going to attack the Chin. And the Chin is to the far west of Chinese civilization. Correct. And right next to Jin. The Jin is to the east of them. Yes, and right next to a ton of weird barbarians. Correct. And these barbarians are probably not Turkic people, right? Like the Mongols and the Huns later, but these are like the inner barbarians. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the barbarians, they're really, they eventually become more part of Chinese culture. They're just expanding because they intermarry and and stuff with these barbarians. Remember Chonger, he had wrong barbarians in his family. His mother was a wrong barbarian. Yeah, so they, they eventually will become Han Chinese. Yeah. I would love to, as a sidebar here, I would love to, if I could, do some special episodes on the Chinese barbarians. I'm trying to find out what information I can and get somebody to help me. That would be great. Because they're interesting. There's all different tribes. And basically it means like, like D means, I think D means the Western and wrong. Might, I don't want to say the wrong things, but, it, but those words, D, wrong, Etc. They just mean like northwest, south, east. It seems to me that this is like if Babylonia had survived and eventually neighboring peoples become integrated and then the people beyond those are the barbarians. But it seems that, that China is, is growing from the middle. Yes, that's exactly right. And then you're right, the steps are, well, eventually you do get to the steps. So then it's like having the, you know, the Scythians there. Yes. They basically are. When we get way to there, yeah, that area, it's all those the same kind of peoples. Yes. So no one was happy with this. And then the, the Zhou capital is right in the center there. No one was happy with this. But also for Jin, this was a good this was a good opportunity for them to knock out the Chin so that they won't bother them if they have to fight Chu again. Because that's really their big rival, right? So then they're right next to them over there. So if they could, you know, weaken them and they get the other states to help them, win-win. Mm. So this is what happened there. There's a battle. So they led the um, 
Jin led the armies of all those princes to attack Qin from the west. And they sent troops, the Qin sent troops to meet them. And, it, and I can't figure out why they call it a tunnel, because they two sides fought fiercely in the tunnel, and the Qin army was defeated. They call it the Battle of Ma Tunnel. I looked really, tried to look up a lot. I sound like a hemp tunnel. One of the translations said hemp tunnel. So when I looked up hemp tunnel, that's like we grow weed in. So. <laughs> okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a wild theory here. Oh, tell me. There is a very important uh, flood myth in uh, Chinese history, much earlier than Fano history time. Yeah. And uh, this flood has been archaeologically, they found traces of a severe flood. Okay. And the flood was defeated by engineering feats. So maybe mm-hmm. there are like tunnels still around from the flood. Yeah, maybe they're one of the tunnels. Maybe they built tunnels with the Yellow Emperor, right? Yeah, this is very much uh, my amateur speculation on the matter. Yeah, it could be a tunnel like that. Well, anyway, they had a fierce battle in it. It was either a tunnel where they were growing weed or it was a tunnel for gro- for, for moving water or maybe it was a valley. Uh, you know, some of these words are funny. The translations are just they're crazy. I, I'm imagining like it's Moria. What's Moria? The uh, dwarven city of Casadum in Lord oh, of the Rings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking it meant something like that. We could have a, a large battle in there. Yeah, something along those lines. Well, they lost it. Chin lost it. And now the Jin was relieved of worries and they became more powerful because now they had most of the central plains were, were their vassal states. And they had made a peace with Chu, so everything looked good. Could call it the completed the deployment of the plan of Chin, D, and Qi. The three strong forces to serve Jin. And so, and I remember I said that Chu had made a, a peace uh, pact with Qin way back in the 600, 627, and, but they didn't do anything about this. So I guess that pact was no good anymore. Mm-hmm. And now, the next year is 577. And this is just like crazy Game of Thrones. There's so many things going on, right? But this is all sort of part of the same. Uh, tension between Chu and Jin. So the Zhang state attacked the Zhu state and they invaded their outer city of Zudu. The Zhu state was forced to cede land for peace. So in retaliation, because it was one of their allies, Chu state raised troops and attacked Zhen uh, to the city of Baotun, and then they attacked Wei up more to the north. So now that's, the Jin was are kind of allied with them. Uh, one of the generals of the Jin wanted to retaliate against the Chu, but another general opposed it. And if you see here in the script where it said, I left it in here, it says, in the same year, the king of Communist Party of Chu agreed <laughs> to his request and sent Chu's son, Shen, to move Zhu to Jiangqing. <laughs> That's so, GPT. It's You know what? Yeah, no, that isn't the chat GPT. That is the translation. So that's why I think, it's, you know, when I we always get confused and we call the king of Chu, is he the king, is he the duke? Somehow it translates, the Chinese symbol translates king of the communist party of Chu. So he's like the king, but it's not quite the king. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, it's, it's the faction leader. Yeah, but he is the king because he, he isn't ethnically related to the Zhou. So he's technically the king. Okay. Ah. <laughs> I will pretend like I'm not confused. 
Yeah, pretend like you're not confused. So the uh, there's some debate in Jin basically that are they going to attack? Are they going to fight the Chu because they have the the treaty and such and such and such? And we'll talk more about. And well, they had the treaty for like two years, and so now yeah, it's that's it. Apart. It's not even right. It's a couple of years, right? Then there's this little sidebar, but it's kind of important. I think it's important for later too, because also some of this old writing is a little like Herodotus, a little like the Bible, where they like bring up things that are foreshadowing that you're going to know happen later. And they'll, you know, maybe this story wouldn't have been so important if many years later it didn't have other ramifications. Oh. So, because Jin's going to have some trouble down the line. It's not even in this century, but it's going to be a big event. It's going to kind of end a, end the spring and autumn period. So anyway, during this period, this little event occurred. There's three brothers of the Quay family. Um, they conspired to kill this minister named Bozong along with another minister. In and Boz- Yeah, Luan Fiji here. I try to like keep the names out sometimes. Yes. But Bozong, we might hear again. Because Bozong's son's name is Bozuli. And he fled to Chu to, you know, because he's probably going to get killed too. And then he was appointed prime minister by the king of Chu. So this guy left. He was a minister in, in Jin, and he left and became the prime minister of Chu. And they do this a lot, and it's going to happen more and more, especially up to the Warring States period. These these ministers and philosophers and such, they travel from state to state. I even asked my friend last night, did they speak the same language in ancient China? And first he said no. But then as we got into it, we we pretty sure that the, the central plain states probably spoke basically the same language, maybe had them some different dialects, but... Because these ministers, like, remember even Chonger, he moved from state to state to state. They couldn't possibly have to translate all these different languages. So, basically, they did speak the same language, too. So, Bo Song and uh, the other minister died. Bo Song's son fled to Chu, told, told the Chu that, hey, I'm I'm quite a good minister. Yes. Oh, well, you seem to be the best. Let's make you prime minister. Prime minister, exactly. No elections or anything necessary. So, you know, this about, they, they see the injustice of killing him, and they, one of the ministers prophesies that the, the K family was about to meet a disastrous fate. They're bound to. And then they actually, the duke was murdered because of all this intrigue. And we're, we're you know, we're going to get a little bit more into it because one of the generals of Jin was afraid to go to war because he, didn't, he felt that with an external threat like Chu, there'd be less chance of internal intrigue and stuff like this. Yeah, that's a very common opinion, right? So in a common tactic, if it's unrest at home, attack somebody else. Right, right. Keep keep the tension, right? Well, he didn't want to attack them because he was afraid he'd beat them. <laughs> <laughs> so in the spring of 575, the king of Chu granted land around the city of Ruyin to Zheng, the state of Zheng, that had previously been in alliance with Jin. So then Zheng turned on Jin and allied with Chu. And now that they had Chu as an ally, they decided to um, attack the state of Song, and, but they were defeated. Okay, so four years after Song managed to make that uh, big peace agreement, they are attacked by somebody. Mm-hmm, correct. They were attacked by the Zheng state, which isn't a very big state, but it used to be. They're like, Zheng used to be a big-time state, but they're not as powerful anymore. But they thought they'd give it a shot and take a shot at, at Song. But Jin, being the hegemon, they couldn't really ignore these conflicts, and they decided to intervene. 
some of the people in the Jin army said they shouldn't get involved with the conflict because it's going to only lead to trouble. But despite that advice, they convinced the Jin uh, ruler to send troops to attack Zhang, and with, they got help from Lu and Wei. Okay, that should work out nicely, right? Yeah, that should work out all right. But they're probably going to get Chu wound up a little bit. Mm. So, because they're allied with them. So then the king of Chu organized an army to rescue Zhang, and they were attacked by a Jin division while they were, you know, there. So now we sort of have an international incident. Uh-oh. Right. So now as the tensions are rising, another minister, his name was in, not important, he went to Chu with an envoy and returned to the Zhang state with important information. He warned them that the Chu army lacked formation and was moving too quickly without careful consideration. And he believed that the Chu state was unreliable and unprepared for an upcoming battle. And then the situation was becoming more and more tense as different states aligned themselves with Jin or Zhang, and the war seemed inevitable. So in May, the Jin army crossed the Yellow River. The Yellow River is the river in the north. The Yangtze is the one in the south. They also learned that the Chu army had set off for Zhang. Now this guy, I will tell you his name. His name is Fan Wenzi. Sometimes it's spelled differently, but we're going to call him Fan Wenzi here. He was a big-time trusted advisor at the Jin army. He's the one who suggested that they avoid fighting with the Chu um, and withdraw their country. He said that the joining all the other princes was not something they should do at the present. They should leave it to these other people to fight it out. And because of the reason that he felt an outside power enemy was good for internal cohesion. But most of the people were like, no, you know, we have to have our honor and all this stuff. Yeah, we have to fight this out once and for all. Right. This is where the big the battle of the decade comes in. It's called the Battle of Yanling. Yanling, not Yingling. <laughs> and it's Yanling, Y-A-N-L-I-N-G. Janling. And, yeah, Janling probably. Yeah, that's the other thing. If you watch stuff, they pronounce it differently. So oh, no. enough complaining. All right. So now, the, of course, they're arguing, you know, who's going to – this fan wins, he doesn't want to fight because he thought that, you know, they don't, he doesn't want to waste the army. He doesn't – he thinks if they lose, it won't be good. He wants to have the outside power. He has – they have all this good stuff going on. They have the chin and the D and the key. They're all subordinate to Jin. So they felt that um, – he says, fan Wazy believed that only a saint of this world could be free from worries inside and outside and that if Jin were peaceful outside – there would be internal troubles. Well, then it sounds like he wants to fight you. No, he doesn't. He See, he says, if Jin were peaceful outside, there would be internal troubles. But he doesn't want to actually fight. He just wants them to be the tension, sort of like a Cold War. Ah, okay. He wants the status quo to remain. Yeah, right. Like, as long as they're the enemy, you're worried about them, but not actually fighting them. Because if you fight them and you lose, that's not good. And if you win, that's not good either. So he feels it's better just to not fight. Sounds pretty reasonable, actually. Yes, especially with these guys, you know, the internal struggles that they had going on. At the end of the month, the Chu army approached the Jin army early in the morning to set up a battle posture. They still, the soldiers of Jin were still a little uneasy because um, this Fan Wenzi still didn't want to fight. And he had a son. He ran up to the general and he suggested that they fill the well and flatten the stove and line up the army. That's a, an expression, I guess. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what filling the well and flatten the stove is, but I think it means pack up the camp and go to war. Yeah, tear down the camp, go to war. Exactly. 
So then his father picked up a spear and chased him, shouting, The survival of a country is God's will. What do you know, child? Embarrassing. I know, right? But another one of the generals, he believed that the behavior of the Chu army was reckless and they only needed to hold their ground and wait. He, they pointed out six weaknesses of the Chu army and emphasized the importance of taking advantage of the opportunity now so they could win the battle quickly. And I found the six, the six advantages. The two, so first, there's two generals. There's Yin Zizong and Sima Zifan. Zizhong and Zifan. Those are the two generals of Chu, and they're at odds with each other. We might need those names later. That's why I said them. Zishong and Zifan. Yeah. Zishan and Zifan. And so the second, the king of Chu led all his old subordinates. Not sure what's bad about that, but must be something bad. So, uh, thirdly, although um, one of the armies has a formation, the formation is not neat. Fourth, the barbarians have an army, but they have no lineup. I'll talk about the barbarians in a second. Uh, fifth, the soldiers, the opponent's soldiers were noisy among the soldiers, and they were even more noisy when they were together. Hmm. And sixth, these troops wait and see each other, thinking of a way out, lacking fighting spirit. So they just felt that the two troops were not really um, up to the task and that we should take the initiative now. There's no point in... Maybe the guy had a good idea about, you know, not fighting the battle. Maybe his idea was more strategic, but these guys, more in a tactical sense, thought, let's do the bat, the fight. We can win this. Let's do it. Yeah, we can win it. Let's do it. So basically, the, the true center was the king's guard troops, the best troops, and the king was there with his people. And then on the two wings were barbarians. Hmm. And we know how barbarians, they don't line up, you know, line up usually good. So then the two armies kind of faced off. Next passage is the King of Chu. He personally boarded what they call a nest cart. It's a military cart used for observation. It's like a cart that they could climb up and see, you know, in the distance so they can get a better view of the situation. And you remember Bozuli? He was the chief minister. Uh, he's the guy that used his father was killed in Jin. So he knows how the Jin army does. So... He's watching when the king of Chu is asking him questions like, what's happening here and what's happening there? The king of Chu, he noticed that there were rear cars in the Jin army running back and forth, and he asked them what are they doing. And he replied, they're calling for officers. But the king of Chu cons- suspected a conspiracy. The king of Chu cons- continued to observe, and he commented on different aspects of the Jin army's movements, and uh, this Bazuli guy provided explanations for each and i read them and they're just that's not worth it there's just little things here and there <laughs> but what kind of conspiracy did he the king of I'm chu i'm not fear? really sure what he means there either you know he he said the king of chu conspected a, a suspected a conspiracy i think he i don't think he didn't think bozuli was right i think he just wasn't sure what was happening well bozuli seems pretty untrustworthy actually so i mean they're all untrustworthy that's the crazy thing like they're just constantly like i mean really Okay, what's happening on the Jin side? So on the Jin side, there's another. There's another. There's a guy that used to be a minister of Chin of Chu, and he is now a minister of Jin. So he's doing the same thing. He's watching the Chu soldiers, and he's telling them um, what's going on. So he's the one who he said the best thing to do is to um, attack the sides, right? To attack the barbarian, get the barbarians out, and then you could work on the 
center, the best troops. We could put all the armies on the best troops. Sounds like a good plan. Yeah, it was a good plan. It actually is a good plan. So what happened What was this? In the front of the battlefield, the jinn were um, behind a big swamp and a ditch. And the Chu had to march up. The jinn first got stuck in it early, but they kind of moved their way around it, out of it. And now the center of the Chu is behind, the, is, you know, against them, but the swamp and the ditch is between them. Okay. So then what happened is the, Jew, the jinn chariots attacked the barbarians on the flanks, and they scattered. Right, they, you know, barbarians, they can't maintain formation. Everybody knows barbarians don't maintain formation, right? So once they scattered, then they were able to concentrate the forces against the, the Chu center. And then, of course, as in any Chinese battle in the spring and autumn period, we have some personal drama. Oh, treason, perhaps. <laughs> kind of, but not that kind. <laughs> okay. You got a bad mind. There's these two. I'm not going to try the names, right? So there's these two guys, and they're practicing their archery, and they show the king of Chu how they can shoot through seven layers of leather armor, right? What? How do they do that? I mean, that's probably a story, or the leather armor's not that strong, or these guys are, like, really good archers. Okay. They... The king, although of Chu, got mad at them for doing that. He said, you shouldn't, you know, show off your martial skills. These guys are all into all this etiquette stuff. A guy from the state of Jin, he had a dream the night before that he would shoot the moon. So he asked one of the diviners, what does that mean? And they told him that that would mean he would shoot the king of Chu, but that he would die. Uh, because the moon represents Chu. So when the battle was fierce and in the center there with the king's troops the guy that dreamed that he would shoot the moon shot the king of chu in the eye and killed him no that's that's amazing about these stories this is the thing right these guys i mean telling you he didn't kill him he only wounded him so maybe he scratched his eye i don't see how you could stick an arrow on a right in a guy's eye but they say blinded him so then the king of chu even though he was mad at those guys for shooting you know showing off he told them to shoot those guys. <laughs> so he sh- the, ki- the old guy shot the guy that shot the King of Chu, and they shot a bunch of other ministers and such and such. It was one of those, like, heroic scenes, I guess, technically. Yeah. But the, the King of Chu is still fine with just an arrow in his eye and a little blinded. Yeah, or it's just a scratch, a flesh wound, you know. Apparently he got shot in the eye. The guy who shot him in the eye got shot back by the other guy. And he yeah. told him to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If I have an air on my eye, I'd be like, ah. Because the other crazy thing that's unbelievable is there's another, um, while this is going on, they're trying to, they're sort of nego- want to negotiate. And one of the ministers, every time he comes near the King of Chu, he takes off his armor three times, like during a battle. I mean, how do you take off your armor three times during a battle? And then he bows to him. There's all this ritual stuff that I, my opinion is probably a legend. I can't imagine he would, you know. Okay. So... The battle seems to be over. And a lot of the sources I found until just we started to record this, the battle actually wasn't completely over. It was it they the Chu was pretty much beat, but they they still might fight the next day. It's because the King of Chu decided to fight the next day. They inspected their wounded, replenished their infantry, probably got some arrows, repaired armor, weapons, cleaned up the chariots and the horses, 
and they were ordered to eat the next day when the cock crowed and be put on standby to go into battle. And the jinn, they also prepared for battle the next day. And But what they did, they deliberately relaxed the guard on the Chu prisoners of war, and they let them escape back to the Chu camp and report that the jinn was preparing for war. And so when the king of Chu learned that jinn army was ready, he immediately summoned Xiphon, remember we talked about him, yeah. one of the generals, to discuss the countermeasures, but Xiphon was drunk and could not be summoned. <laughs> I mean, seriously, in the freaking middle of a battle. <laughs> but, and so the king had no choice but to lead the army himself and to retreat in the dark. That's how the battle ended. Now, if you remember our fan Wednesday guy, Actually, do you have any questions about that? I should say, any questions, anyone? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the important thing is that the Chu army has retreated, so the Jin army stands victorious. That is and correct. Fang Wingqi, who was uh, the peace guy who didn't yes. want this battle to happen, he uh, has something to say about it. He does. So he stood in front of the army. He warned them that the mandate of heaven could not be consistent and constant, and you must be virtuous virtuous to enjoy it. So he opposed the use of troops, like we said, against Chu, because he wanted to maintain the unity of Jin by keeping a strong foreign enemy. When he came home, he asked his friends to pray for him that he would die soon, because he believed that the Duke of Jin was arrogant and extravagant, and the state of Jin um, had defeated the enemy because the heavens were aggravating the king's problems. Doesn't it sound like, you know, like in Babylonians and stuff like that, right? Yeah. He saw the disasters were imminent, and for those who loved him, if they really loved him, they would just curse him and make him, make him die quickly to avoid these disasters. And within a few days, he died. Like we say here in, in China, suicide was a lot of times a way to take responsibility for a mistake. And remember Zephon, he's the guy who was drunk. Well, he, he decided not to follow. He didn't, wasn't going to kill himself at first. Before, most people do kill themselves after they lose. And the other general, the guy who he hated, he did kill himself after the battle. So everybody thought, well, Zephon, he's going to kill himself too. But the, actually, the king of Chu didn't want him to kill himself. I don't know why. Even though he was drunk the night before, he still didn't want to kill himself. But eventually he decided later to kill himself. So he did kill himself. It's a bit like uh, Samurai. Yeah. And Seppuku. Yeah. I wonder how they killed themselves. I'm going to have to look that up. I don't think they did Seppuku. No, probably not. No. Hmm, interesting. So, we're almost done with this. After, <laughs> we're almost through it, guys. We're almost through it. <laughs> the the stands victorious. Yeah, they do. And so now it's sort of like now they go, so the Duke of Jin, he goes, he sends a minister to present the victory to the Zhou court. This guy, this minister, he kept boasting about his contributions in the battle. He was, they were just very arrogant. And they just, and you know, the book, the, the ancient Chinese book here just basically says, you know, he sowed the seeds to their own misfortune. Because like I said, stuff's going to happen bad in Jin in a little while. And so they just say they were very arrogant. I mean, basically also what happened here is, the, the ending is that Chu and Jin both like exhausted a lot of their army by having this battle. So they don't, and then they ruined their peace agreement too. They wouldn't have another peace agreement for another 30 years. So, you know, they, this starts, uh, Jin is still going to be the hegemon for a while, 
but it was definitely weak in them. They they would have probably been better to not do the fight, but so Van den Zee was correct, pretty much. I think so. Yeah, you know who wins this battle all in the end, right? That's not really a spoiler. Who does? Who wins the after the Warring States? I mean, uh, who are the Warring States? Oh well, all these states. So this period is called the um, the Spring and Autumn period, right? And that ends in the four something. And then yes. from four something to two twenty one, I believe it is, they um, is called the Warring States, and that's when they that's like the final, the end game. That's when all they take the gloves off during the Warring States, and then the Qin are the ones who win. Q I N. Ah, oh. the first emperor of China is from Qin. So I think that's bad spoiler because that's like two twenty one B C, and that's a long time from now. That's a long time from now, and he will his empire will last, or his uh, dynasty will not last very long. No, it's only like 15 years or something. But then there will be a long-lasting dynasty. That's right. But let's get back to that in episode 500 or so. Yeah, we'll get to that in episode 500 or so. That is the end of the battle, this battle. We could talk more in China. How long has we been going on for here? We can do a double on China. We could maybe. Well, we do have a little more in China. Please tell me. What we have is a legendary figure, but he's one that I actually... I actually follow the the work anyway of the founder of Taoism, T-A-O-I-S-M, which is pronounced Taoism, and its name is Lao Tzu, and he supposedly would have been born in, around now in 571 B.C. Do, uh, do, do you ever watch uh, epic rap battles on YouTube? No. It's a fantastic YouTube channel with uh, that do historic rap battles between historic characters like uh, Teddy Roosevelt versus Winston Churchill. Amazing. But one of the things they did was Western philosophers against Eastern philosophers. Amazing. And Lao Tzu is one of the Eastern philosophers. That's how I know him. Ah. Well, you might get to know him a little more as we go on the next couple of decades, because I, like we did the quotes for the Greek philosophers, we're going to do some quotes for the Chinese philosophers. Oh, sounds great. We'll start with Lao Tzu. I actually... Um, our friend Dinelli Bellelli is a Taoist. I started, a, he talks about it a lot on his podcast, History on Fire. And then he has a he has a, another podcast, The Drunken Tao. And when he talks about it a lot, I, I started to like be interested in it. And I, I just looked up the Tao Te Ching. And it's such a beautiful little book, just these little quotes. And I listened to it on YouTube. I'll actually post that in the show notes too. And I like when I go running and stuff, I listen to this to the Tao, and it's really, it's philosophy, it's not religion. There, You could be a Taoist and have do worship and stuff like that, but you could be a Taoist and be an atheist too. I'm going to give you the, I'm going to do a Tao quote. It's the first line of the Tao Te Ching, which is the first book on Taoism. It's supposedly written by Lao Tzu. I'll tell you about how they say he wrote it in a minute. But the first, okay. the first uh, passage is, the Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao, the name that can be named is not the eternal name. The unnameable is the eternally real. Naming is the origin of all particular things. Free from desire, you realize the mystery. Caught in desire, you see only the manifestations. Yet mystery and manifestations arise from the same source. This source is called darkness. Darkness within darkness. Gateway to all understanding. 
the secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW. The first line is, it's very mysterious. I must have read and listened to that a hundred times and can mean different things every time you read it, really. Uh, what do you think it means? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> That's what it means. <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> well, at one point in the epic rap battle, Sun Tzu says to um, um, Lao Tzu that, uh, I mean, no disrespect, but you should fill your bowl with some shit that makes sense. <laughs> Because there's a line where he says, if you fill your bowl, it will overflow. Yes. Basically, it means, the, the, basically that means is the mystery is like the mystery of existence, right? Like of nature. The Tao could be, the Tao could be translated as the word, the spo- word. It could be, you could say the, the word that can be spoken is not the eternal word, but it could also mean way or path. It could say the, the path that can be walked is not the eternal path. I take it to mean like, when people, you know, seem to people who are maybe, let's say, more, what's the good word to use? Like rigid, maybe, or maybe rigid in their in their religious thinking, where they sort of know this is, you know, God is this, or they they under they believe, you know, the nature of reality is, let's say, or the mystery of the universe. But the the Taoist says we don't know what it is. It's you can't really say it's a mystery. It's what it is. And then when he says. Free from desire, you realize the mystery. Caught in desire, you see only the manifestations. The manifestations mean the things you see around you, like trees and people and money and everything, like just react, you know, the material things. But the mystery is just like the mystery of nature. And basically, Tao is like nature. Tao's philosophy to me is like we're all part of nature. You know, you don't mm. the, the, the ebb and flow of nature is just the way things are. One of the main um, points is called Wu Wei, which is action, non-action. It means just like a lot of times you just let things happen as they're going to happen. And then if you have to do action, then you do action, like judo, right? You know, you're not supposed to like be striking all the time. You just let the person use their action against them. That's one example. It's a very beautiful philosophy, in my opinion. And this is something that is very much alive today, then. Oh, for sure. There's, um, there's three basic like foundations of chinese thought and it's it's um buddhism taoism and confucianism those are like the three masters of the you know of china obviously buddha was born in india but you know he's very influential in china so those are your like three foundations of chinese thought like today even to today 
at, at our time in our podcast, one another important one is legalism, which hasn't really that guy who wrote. It's like Confucius; he hasn't come around yet. Okay, um, but these all these philosophers. Eventually, we're going to get in. There's going to be the hundred schools of philosophy around this time in the Warring States period. There's a tons of different philosophers, but um, so the way they say that uh, Lao Tzu wrote this was that he was leaving the state that he was from. And but they weren't. They didn't want to let him leave, and so one of the guards, the city gates, said, "Could you, um, could you?" Well, they were going to let him leave. I'm sorry, but they asked him to write. A, they, he asked him if he would write a book of wisdom for him. He said, "Would you write me a book of wisdom before you go? Like all your wisdom, blah blah blah." Because he he was just like a, I guess a well known philosopher in the area, and he said no. He's too you know he's loud, so he's like ah I'm not going to do that. Like basically, basically Taoists are like kind of chill, so. The guard said, well, I'm going to put you in jail until you write it. So apparently put him in jail, and a couple of days later, he came out with the Tao Te Ching. That's the legend of how it was written. Nice. Um, his name might not have even been Lao Tzu. That sort of translates to the old master. Uh, they say he was born as Li Er. And Er is like, remember Chong Er? But Er means like big ears. That's what, remember Chong Er <laughs> meant big ears? And in, I, yes. in China, I mean, you have long ears. It means you're old and wise. You know how when you get old, your years like get longer <laughs> and bigger. Yes. Yeah, like so that they say he was, you know, all the they say he was born as an old man, stuff like that. And some some people, I'm sure, of you know, make him a saint and maybe they worship him and stuff. But basically, he was a philosopher. And I think throughout our the next uh, this decade, we'll talk different about different. Taoist things, if you guys don't mind, and I'll we'll do some quotes. Sounds great. Yeah. So, like I said, he he could be a mythical figure. He probably is. I'm, I mean, maybe there was somebody. I, in my opinion, I don't think that there's one person that wrote the Tao Te Ching in the 500s, because a lot of the Tao Te Ching, you can tell by the context of understanding this stuff now, is um, is like a rebuttal to legalism and Confucianism. Because a lot of times in the Tao Te Ching, they'll talk about ritual being silly. You know, like ritual is the worst. You know, people know what to do the right way. People will be moral. We don't need all this ritual. Honestly, I kind of agree with uh, with Lao Tzu. But, yeah, they think he could be – he probably wasn't an actual person. He surely didn't write this, you know, Tao Te Ching the way we have it today. It's um, – you could read different versions of it because it is – there is a very – old, what they have found of it. It's not from the 500s. It's a few hundred years later, the different passages that they have, they have, but they are pretty old, and it's old Chinese, so it's, my friend Jack tells me it's confusing, even for him. So it might be a, a text from the Warring States period, like in the 4th century BC. Yes, correct. Like 200 years later than this. Right, because you could tell that they're, you could do- totally tell that it's, you know, a rebuttal to some some passages are rebuttals to Confucianism and legalism, and we'll we'll do some of those in other episodes. I'll I'll find some of those quotes on ritual. Basically, he says ritual is the husk of like existence. You know, that's the last thing. When you have morality, when you have kindness, when you have all these things, you know, the last thing is when you lose everything. That's when you need ritual. When you just can't keep people, you know, when pe- when you just have so such disorder that I guess rituals the the last thing you could do. I'm starting to like this guy. Oh my god, he's the best. Taoism is the best. I'm actually gonna the next time you see me, I'm hoping within this year to get that first line that I read. 
uh, the Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao, then that's it. Just the Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. I have my friend Jack write that in Chinese, and I'm going to get it tattooed on my forearm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. Next time we'll talk about entirely clear things that are not at all legendary. Really? Oh, but they are. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. But they, they will perhaps be less confusing, hopefully. Perhaps they will. But only perhaps. All right. All right, five-star review from MGP Terps. All right, that's not a main review. we got another five-star review. This guy says, it just says five stars. I always have time to give Bernie and Dan five stars for their podcast. Thank you. That was nice of them. Thank you. I'll read this one, too. Uh, This is from a credibility specialist. I took some time today to listen to your show, exclamation point. Fan of History is a fantastic podcast with great info, advice, and perspectives. You won't regret listening to and learning from the podcast. Thank you very much. Yeah. And then we have great show. This podcast is extremely educational and backed by verifiable sources for you to check out on your own if you want to learn even more than they already talked about. Extremely entertaining for history buffs like myself. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm touched. It's uh, yeah. This is what I wanted to do when I started this podcast. Yeah. So, wow. That was like yeah. three, five-star reviews. Yeah, it was great. Nice. Please give us that, more reviews. Definitely. And that one, I was, I liked it that you, you would, I mean, it's one person, so I hope more people like it that I put different things in the show notes. Because I like, when I listen to podcasts a lot of times, especially like Dan Carlin, he'll have all these interesting books and information. And I'm like, well, well I want to read more about that. And it's, I never could figure it out. So I'll, I'll, I'll put as many links as I can in the show notes for you guys. So you can look, read, look up the stuff yourself. I don't have to have a monopoly on the information. That's for sure. So any more reviews? I don't know. What do you think of this? Could you see this last one here? Yes. Read it. You want, you want me to read it? Yes. <laughs> All right. I'm going to read it. Here we go. <laughs> it's one star review. And the name is Drop Jimmy, please, which I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Maybe, this came maybe from, you're Jimmy. <laughs> I'm not Jimmy, though. I'm Bernie. I've never been called Jimmy. Drop Jimmy, please. I don't know. It's funny because it came from 12-31-2022, so New Year's Eve. Maybe somebody was drunk. I don't know. What, what did he say? It says, one star, amazingly boring. <laughs> These two douchebags reading and repeating could only be more interesting if one of them was banging a married woman. Wait, at least one of them is. (laughs) Are you? (laughs) Let me think. Maybe. Oh, God, what are you doing? (laughs) But um, it's when you write a review for the podcast, please tell us what, what you have listened to, because this could be referring to Kevin or Brennan. Easily. Oh. Because somebody start, most people start listening from episode one and then we didn't know anything about audio and stuff. Oh, I think it was Brennan. No, I had. <laughs> Brennan, are you messing around with a married woman? Brent, what's that? Kevin would be more likely to do it. Bre- oh, Brennan Kevin. is happily married. Oh. Well, it's Kevin in Sweden or is Kevin in the America? US? He's an American. Oh. I only do this podcast with Americans. <laughs> Oh. That's the format. But maybe it's Brennan 
who's actually banging a married woman that is his wife since many oh, years. Oh, true, Brandon. True, true, true. I, I have to defend ourselves on the reading part because I don't think we read back and forth hardly at all. Uh, I don't think so either. Yeah. The banging the married woman part, I mean, I don't know. I have to consult my lawyer at this point. <laughs> this was directed at me, and I'm not banging a married woman, so. Good for you. <laughs> but please don't give us bad reviews. Mar- marriage is sacrosanct. Yeah, yes. We don't do that stuff around here. We're a family channel. <laughs> Good Lord. We don't. And if I did, but if I did, can I tell you? It would be on Marduk's mattress and pour a mattress. <laughs> Because I only make love like a god. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for these reviews, and uh, please give us more. Please, please, please give us more reviews. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time.